Welcome to the Everyday Marketer Podcast, where we believe the key to great marketing isn't big budgets and confusing strategies. On this podcast, we give you practical solutions you can implement to grow your brand every single day. Well, welcome back, friends and listeners. We're glad to have you here for part two of our series with uh, Alan's conversation with Joe Pine. This is a great conversation. It's practical. We hope you sat with the previous episode and you have tons of questions for this episode. And I must say, I hope you hate how much you're excited about part two of this series. Alan, before we jump in, I want to ask you a question. Um, normally, we would unpack a marketing message. And I don't want to spend a lot of time doing that today because I want us to spend as much time in our conversation as possible. But I have been scrolling through social media and having having put on one of these recently, we're both well aware I have been seeing an advertisement for this product called Summit in a Box that in less than 90 days, you can launch a three-day summit using a boxed-up template to 3X your business. What are your thoughts? All right. So uh, I've done a summit. You've done a summit. We figured this out. Now, we, we pulled in a consultant as well to help us on the first one. So I don't recommend doing a summit on your own. It's just a lot of pressure. Um, and we prepared for this really well. Um, and so let me say in that message, I think it's both amazing and I hate it at the same time. The summit in a box study. Here's why. The amazing part of it is you are saying in a box says simple. It's all in one place. We can help you to do this thing that's really complex. And yet a lot of people are saying this is the next thing, right? We don't need to travel to conferences anymore. And I mostly agree. We've separated content and connection in that your team can watch this summit that we put in a box, can get out there. Your message can get out to the world. There are people that swear by summits and say, this is the next big way. Now, it's an awesome way to, to get the message out there. But I would just say this. What I don't like about it is that, hey, 90 days, we're going to make this sound really, really simple. I hope that this just doesn't cheapen the idea of summits. Like everyone's doing it. It's like a lot of people do podcasts. We want to help equip people like the podcast bootcamp to make it simple. So if we're making it simple, yes. However, it needs to be rare and valuable for people to tune in and give their most precious attention to the summit. And so make sure that in getting any simplifying tool, you are making it simple and decomplexifying it, which I hope this tool does. However, if it feels cheap, then nobody is going to want to invest their time. So I would ask this question, can it make it simple? Can it eliminate some of the confusion and the frustration and energy and just plain time that I'm putting into it? But still, are we providing an incredible experience on the backside? So I have some fears with that marketing message. Overall, it's hitting the pain point that you know it has been really hard for a lot of people to do summits. Jonathan, you know what that feels like. To, to you know, take on all the tech and connect it all together. We were able to reach a lot of people at their Healthy Leader Summit. But honestly, man, you did a lot, lot, lot of work the first time. What are your thoughts on that marketing message? I think it's honest, but I don't think it's feasible. I think you, it's pressurized. Just having experienced everything that we went through to pull off what we did. Granted, we, it was a big summit. But I don't think 90 days is we enough did time not to do start something small. well. No, I think you could do yes. like a like a micro summit or like a you know 
five, six person talk. But if you think about all of the logistics that go hand in hand into it and to do it well, to build relationship and communicate the vision and mission behind it, all the moving parts that are there that we all had, we were all in our own lane and we were all juggling multiple moving parts in order to do that well and create a memorable experience behind it to where people are still talking about it once it's over and asking when's the next one, what's that going to be like? I don't think 90 days is enough time. And I don't think a quote unquote summit in a box product is going to fit every template. So that's mine, especially if you're going for experience, I don't think it's the right way to go. Good. Well, we're kind of sniffing that out. Um, Let me do a segue. We're talking a little bit in this episode, part two, by the way, if you didn't catch part one, please go back and listen. You'll be out in the dark a little bit on this. We're talking about experiences. And you said that magic word, if you want it to be an experience, then this is not enough. Guys, experiences are designed. You don't just naturally get an experience of surprise and delight. Now, that may happen occasionally. I would say that's the rarity. You're going to have something that's well choreographed. Joe Pine in this episode uses the word staged. We we set a stage for an experience. We know that somebody's cooking in the back. They actually are, you know, behind glass or it's an open air kitchen. And that's part of the experience. They can, you know, hear the hiss of the oven or the, the, you know, steam coming out of that, the, the chopping going on, you can smell the onions. That's an experience versus just somebody brought me food. A digital summit, I think could become really cheap really quickly. If it's consume this instead of experience this, somebody reached out to me last week and said every single uh, staff time for our team, uh, for this large organization, they watch one talk from our Healthy Leader Summit that we put on through State Forth Designs every single time. That's so awesome. And we're saying that it's exactly how we designed it. We don't want you to just take four days and like, cool, got it, now I move on. They bought the lifetime pass and they are utilizing that and getting well worth their money out of it, by the way. That's a year of leadership um, development. They're turning it into exactly what we hoped. And so the phrase here is a hybrid, high touch and high tech. High tech it was recorded. It came through well. We had microphones. We're recording it with Zoom interviews from different places. Nobody was physically gathered, yet it's high touch. That team is now around a table. They're having conversations. They're applying it. We're not even there. So that's what I want to really focus us on is I ask him about what has changed during COVID. I ask him about tech and touch. How do those two go together? How do those not fit together? And let's just acknowledge, guys, that some of you are business leaders. Some of you are solopreneurs. Some of you have a message. You're a writer. You're an author. You have a nonprofit. You have a ministry. You help lead a church. So we're all coming from a different perspective. So we don't believe that you can all just shove this message in the exact same way. You're going to have to apply this to your context. Some of you, like maybe we do, we coach leaders through Zoom. And we're asking, how do we make a better experience, even if we can't eat a meal together share a physical cup of coffee together. So I just think this was really challenging to me. Um, Jonathan, any other thoughts as we kind of bust into this second part of the episode? No, I would just say really pay attention to what he has to say. And I remember taking notes when I listened to this initially, it's, and it's being on purpose with everything that you do. Um, If you want to create a memorable experience around even an email that you send out to people, make it as excellent as it can be, not perfection, but as excellent as you can do it with the resources you have, be intentional and have a great purpose behind what you're doing. Otherwise, you're just transactional. So it's so good. We could talk for hours just about this, but that's all I've got. I'm just excited for these guys to be able to sit with this one. 
Awesome. Well, enjoy the second part of my conversation with co-author of The Experience Economy, coach, consultant, and connoisseur of great experiences, Joe Pine. So I'm talking a lot about attention economy with people recently, people fighting for, you know, our ears, our eyeballs, even, you know, our hearts and our focus. And then of course the experience economy that we're talking about, how is the attention economy tied together with the experience economy? Yeah, well, you know, you can, you, you can consider this a procreal view because we wrote the book, The Experience Economy, not the book, The Attention Economy. I think mm-hmm. there's a couple of books on, on that. But sure. uh, in our view, attention is not an economy because attention is not an economic offering, right? Experiences are a distinct economic offering. Therefore, you have an economy based off of them, just like you have the service economy based off services, the industrial economy based off goods, and the agrarian economy based off commodities. But intention is a crucial factor. Because again, it's it's time, attention, and money um, that are the three currencies of the experience economy. They're they're what people are trading for. They're trading their time. They're trading their attention for the experience that they have. And obviously, like every economic offering, they give money uh, for that experience. You don't give money just for attention. You give money for the entire experience that that people are creating for you. So it is a, a crucial factor. You've got to gain people's attention. And if they're if they, if some other company has created some other experience where they're spending their time with that company, giving their undivided attention to that company, then guess what? They're not spending time and attention with you, and that's why you now compete against the world for these three currencies. Mm. You talk about cost. I found that fascinating, uh, and and you say companies should charge based on value they add, not cost they incur. Why is this a crucial shift? Well, I mean, that's that's the way that's the way it's always been. The companies, you know, the men in the industrial economy, companies would often uh, charge costs plus, right? Well, here's their cost, so we just have to market up enough that we make a decent profit. You know, ignoring the fact, well, sometimes what you market up for is more than 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 most people are willing to play pay because it doesn't give them enough value, and so that product isn't going to work. And other times, you're leaving money on the table because it provides much more value. You know, pure economically. Um, if a if a if a comp if a person whether a consumer or even a business person in a B2B case if they are willing to part with their money in their pocket for your offering then guess what your offering is worth more than that amount of money right it's not just an even trade they say okay this is going to be better than the money i have so i'm going to buy it sure and so that's so economically that's always the case the difference in the experience economy is is to understand that you are what you charge for and and if you charge for undifferentiated stuff, you're in the commodities business. If you charge for tangible things, you're in the goods business. If you charge for the activities your people perform, you're in the services business. But economically, you're in the experience business if and only if you charge for time. Right? That's what's ever that's the value because that's the value that you're providing. Services are about time well saved. You know, do it better than I can, do it quicker than I can, save my time again so I can spend that time on the experiences that I that I value, which provide time well spent. So that's what people are buying from you and experiences time well spent. And you wouldn't imagine going to a, a sporting event or to a concert, a play, a movie um, um, without paying an admission fee, right? Why? Because you recognize them as experiences. And so, and so that's a, it, it's a sends a signal that this is a place worth experiencing as well as gives you the wherewithal to be able to create a great experience. So that's why we see 
Uh, we see scores, hundreds of companies getting into the charging for time business that you never thought possible, like retailers, again, like restaurants, manufacturers creating flagship places like the, the Heineken Experience in Amsterdam, the Guinness Storehouse in Dublin, the world of Coca-Cola in Atlanta, and so on and so on. Uh, all these companies recognize that, that um, uh, they're in the experience business, therefore they need to charge for the time that customers spend with them, that time well spent. I get a lot of questions. Um, I coach leaders who are business leaders, nonprofit leaders, and church leaders, very different contexts. I'm curious, yeah. which of these principles do you feel like carry over to nonprofits and churches? And which of these principles do you feel like is there not as clear of a carryover to nonprofits and churches? Well, and I, I, I think that I think those are two very different groups, nonprofits and churches. Uh, nonprofits number one, are still businesses and should think of themselves as businesses. The only reason they're called nonprofits is something called the tax code. Uh, and, and they need not to design for the tax code, that they still need to create revenue. They still need to get um, uh, money in to be able to pay all the expenses that they have. Yeah. I, um, you know, they may come through donations, but, but in many nonprofits, it is through the economic offerings that they provide. Uh, my dad worked for a nonprofit many decades ago, and I still remember him telling me that there is no more profit conscious company he ever worked for than the nonprofit because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, they had to cover it. So, so all the principles apply, at least in terms of economic offerings, but also you can think of, let's say the donor experience. And recognize that uh, that you need to create an experience for your donors that will get them to give revenue to you. That that in the experience economy, a basic principle I talk with businesses over the world about is that the experience is the marketing. That the best way to generate demand for your offering is with an experience so engaging that customers can't help but spend their time with you, give you their attention, and then. Um, uh, spend their money as a result by buying your offering. Well, in a nonprofit case, it's simply spend their money by donating it to you is something that you want to have uh, as well. Um, with churches, I'm more, I'm more wary about this for the, the, the simple um, um, reason that when you think about worshiping God that we do as Christians, uh, is that, that worshiping God, God is the audience of worship, therefore. We are not the audience of worship in the pews, right, in the chairs. And therefore, if a, if a church, if the pastor and the, and the, and the elder board and that, if they um, want to say, okay, we need to use all these techniques to create this great experience, well, then they're losing sight of the fact of who is the true audience, right? The, the goal is to help people worship God through reading scripture, through songs, through uh, sermons, and so forth, and not about giving them an, an, an over-the-top experience that makes them feel good, you know, so to speak. Um, that isn't to say, though, that if you look at it societal-wise, that, you know, that, that people today do have other options about how they spend their time, their attention, and their money, and they often uh, will, in fact, uh, look at a church and say, it's not competitive to that. But then you've got to wonder, um, is what's their motivation, right? Because then their sure. motivation is one of, of wanting experiences out of church, again, instead of the worship and glorification of God, which, which is what our motivation needs to be. Yeah, I appreciate that, Joe. And I think, you know, anyone listening, take this with discernment, like anything, and to say, how <laughs> does this fit within our context? And it's very unique um, context is not a performance. 
And that's, that's challenging for sure. Uh, So thank you for that. Um, Take me inside of your consulting. What are you looking for in an organization? And then how do you help them? Well, so, so a lot of what I do is uh, speeches to energize people, to open up their eyes, to get them to see what's, what's, what's out there, what the possibilities are. And often a particular executive or group within a, a company will bring me in to, to uh, let the rest of the organization understand what they already do, which is that, they're, uh, that they need to shift into experiences or need to stage a better experience than, than what they already do. Then often I do a lot of workshops with companies to take them through the, the frameworks, take them through a set of, of, of exemplars, as well as the ideas and principles to be able then um, work together to, to develop ideas about what they should do differently. Right to come up with a set of ideas that really changed their business, uh, and um, uh, and then uh, and then I will do some ongoing consulting with companies to go into more depth to provide um, uh, reviews of what they're coming up with to experience the products to help them write about it. Uh, one recent client, you know, it, one of the keys was an experience is that you need to have a theme. You know, think about theme restaurants, theme parks, and so forth. Doesn't have to be in your face as theme restaurants. Doesn't have to be a fantasy like theme parks, but it's simply the organizing principle of the experience. Well, when that theme encompasses the entire organization, what it really becomes is the purpose of the organization, the meaningful purpose, right? The intention, again, is a key word. And, uh, and so I worked with a company recently to sort of uncover from their heritage, from where they are today, from where they want to go, what is the meaningful purpose of the company? And in workshop mode, help them figure out what that is. And then I wrote a, uh, a page or two of prose for them that, that became a declaration. And that declaration puts meat on the bones and provides the basis of the proposition to which they must ascend. And that everybody in the organization, you have to ascend to, to this meaningful purpose. And so that's, that's work that, uh, that I love to do. And I'm working with them on ongoing basis and, and doing continuing workshops with them, uh, working with their head of strategy and head of marketing uh, and so forth. Uh, Joe, take me into one of your favorite examples of an experiential organization or a particular experience. What's happening there and, and why does it surprise and delight you? Oh, wow. So, that, so yeah, what experience do I want to pick? Take I'll, us into one of your favorites. I know you've seen thousands, but what, what, what's one of your Right. Topics? So I'll give, you, I'll give you my current favorite. You know, at, uh, we, we ran our own events called Think About uh, for 20 years, and then we, we decided to, to – um, uh, Pre-COVID, but we just decided, you know, that it was time to sort of to to take that and put it in the can after 20 years. But for those 20 years, we gave out an Experience Stager of the Year award called an XP Award. And the last one we gave out in 2017, I'll mention, is one of my favorite clients of all time because they've actually done more than uh, almost any other client, and that's Carnival Corporation. And uh, Carnival Corporation Cruise Company is, you know, is obviously dead in the water right now. It's, that's probably a bad choice of words. I don't. <laughs> but they, um, uh, what they created and what they're continuing to work on while, while things are quiesced as far as the business goes is this program they call the Ocean Medallion. And the Ocean Medallion is an IoT device, you know, about the size of a quarter, Internet of Things, that allows them to communicate uh, with the shipboard cloud that they have. And what it enables them to do is to mass customize the experience and as well as all the goods and services on ship and, and, and maybe eventually off ship for each individual guest. So when you, um, 
when you first book a cruise, they, they started this on the Princess Cruise Line. So if you book a Princess Cruise, um, they ask you for the set of preferences of what you'd like to do on your cruise. They ask you to take a picture or scan in your passport and upload that so we can we can make sure it's valid passport at least six months after your cruise. So you're ocean ready, as they call it. And then they send you this medallion. And it's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful little device. It's got your name laser etched on it, as well as the dates of your cruise and your muster point. And then um, they ask you to bring that along with you. And so you, as you go through the, the building that they redesigned, it's not, a, it's not a dirty, dusty, hot building anymore. It's a beautiful pre-show for the, the cruise experience. Uh, and you never have to show your passport. You just walk at a leisurely place all the way through there up onto the gangplank. And when you get there, a, a Carnival employee will have a tablet. And when you get within range with your, your ocean medallion, up pops your picture your name and a check mark that says you're ocean ready. So wow. they can welcome you on board by name. Brilliant. The ocean medallion gets tracked as you go through. And as you get close to your stateroom door, it gets ready. So when you touch the door handle, uh, it closes the electric circuit. It unlocks, you open the door and the room greets you by name. Wow. And then they begin to look at all the things you like to do. They look at where do you like to spend your time? Uh, and if you if you spend more time in a particular experience than most people, they, 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 they'll presume that you, that's time well spent for you. If it's less, then maybe it's not as, as well time well spent. And they offer personal experience invitations to, to, to see what you like to do so that they develop a customized itinerary for you that if you go a second or third time gets even better. And they can even remember things to, to, to mass customize the whole experience. They can even remember things like when you're on the pool deck with your kids. Your favorite drink is an iced tea with no lemon. When you're in the bar with your buddies, it's a mojito. And when you're in the restaurant with your spouse, it's a glass of Shiraz. <laughs> so they understand the digital context of, of, of who you are, of what you want right now, and can, can presciently offer you exactly what you're, you're going to want. Wow. And so it's just a great example of bringing together all the principles that we talk about to create an, an amazing experience for cruise guests. Wow. As you say that, I think my side quest in life became to get you to consult with TSA. Like if you could <laughs> make that happen with TSA, Joe, we would all be so happy. We would cheer you on. We would share to the ends of the earth because yep. <laughs> whenever you describe a good experience in the book, uh, I think about 10 bad experiences. I think about uh, the USPS, right. Postal Service. I think about how it's bad for employees. I think about how it's bad for people that walk in. I think the lack of value that's presented there and the, the opposite, how much value they're valuing your time and that you don't have to reshare things again. So helpful. All right, Joe, if you were a young company, let's say you did coaching like we do at Stay Fort Designs. Let's say yep. uh, you help leaders get healthy, reach more impact like we do here. This is yep. the part where I'm trying to get free consulting for a second. <laughs> uh, if you did coaching, what are uh, maybe a couple of ideas, thoughts and suggestions, how we bring that service in to be more uh, of an experience? Well, so, so one is actually I do do coaching. Uh, we have an ex-coach offering for chief experience officers, CXOs. Uh, and, uh, and secondly, because of the business you chose your own business about coaching that is that I want you to recognize that if you are a coach, it means you're not merely in the experience business. You're also in the transformation business. Yep. Right. Or more fully in the transformation business. We talk about, uh, transformations in the book. It's in chapter nine of the book as the fifth and final economic offering in this progression of economic value. We're using experiences now as the raw material to guide people to change. And because 
with, with transformations when people have an aspiration and they're hiring you to be able to help them achieve that aspiration whether it's fitness centers by going from flabby to fit or healthcare by going from sick to well or uh, weight loss uh, or um, uh, you know, then our coaching of any stripe, I'll say, and including management consultants, is that you're really, they're hiring you not because they want an experience, but because they want that experience to help them uh, achieve their aspirations. That's what it's really about. With, with transformations, the customer is the product. Right? Think about that. Yeah. It doesn't matter all these activities you do if the customer doesn't get the aspiration that they wanted. Yep. And we only ever change through the experiences that we have. As the saying goes, we're all the product of our experiences. So then you've got to, so, so the first step is to, is to one, understand who is this particular person that you are coaching. And, and if it's the company that's hiring you, what the, what the company's goals are for that person. And then, and what, and therefore, what do they aspire to become, right? So then you've got this gap from where they are today and what they aspire to become. Then you've got to design the set of experiences, generally not one life transforming experience, but a set of experiences, maybe with some backsliding in there, that, that transforms them from where they are today to where they, they want to be. And then, and then thirdly, though, is you also don't need to, you, you can't stop there. You got to keep going because um, you have to have what we call follow through. All right, follow through. It's not the same as follow up, which is, hi, how you doing? It's follow through is ensuring that the transformation takes hold. You know, if I go through, for example, a, a, a smoking cessation program and like uh, GlaxoSmithKline has one called My Quit, uh, where they, they use the Nicorette gum or patch and they fold it into this eight-week transformational program, which gives them a 50% greater likelihood of actually achieving that aspiration. But if at the eight weeks I, I, I quit smoking, but three weeks later I light up again, well, guess what? I wasn't truly transformed. You have to ensure it takes it takes hold, and and so you need a level of follow through uh, with with people over time. And then the last thing I'll mention is again, you are to charge for, right? So what should you charge for with transformations? Again, doesn't matter what what goods and services you provide. You can't charge for those, or not only for those. It doesn't matter what experiences they undergo if they don't get that out aspiration. So what you need to charge for is the outcome the demonstrated outcome that your customers achieve. That's what economically puts you in the transformation business. And now there are more and more companies that are figuring out how in different ways, but more and more companies figuring out how exactly they can do that. Man, that's good. So much to think about there, Joe. Appreciate that. And you coming on today. I'm curious, 2031, 10 years from now, any predictions about where experiences are going in the next 10 years? Well, I think I think you will absolutely see in the next ten years a level of, of digitally fused experiences that people have been talking about for the last ten years, but haven't yet arrived. You will see people that will be wearing things on their faces that that, that give them a digital overlay of the world. Uh, you will see more and more experiences, like you said, with Pokemon Go, which is which is a genre I call alternate reality, where you have an alternate view of what's going on. You're out there in the real world, but you don't see it the same way they do. Uh, but instead of holding up a phone, it'll be things on your head, so you have your hands free and being able to have that sort of experiences. Um, you know, I think that, that's that's clearly a trend uh, that's going to happen. I don't know that virtual reality will ever become a big deal in the home. But where it's a big deal is in purpose-built environments where you can have the, the physical place exactly match the virtual experience that you're having. 
you know, today, once you put on virtual reality goggles, you know, you you can't see your surroundings anymore, right? You can put your foot through the TV, your hand through a glass table, you can trip over the furniture, you know, all that stuff. And so I think it's more of a, a an outbound sort of thing. And, but what also we'll see in 10 years from now is very much of a more focused on transformation, where we recognize that, um, that the experiences we have do change us. And, and as the product of the experiences, then we have to be careful about what experiences we have and what experiences we, we therefore forego. And I think there'll be much more of a focus on that, as well as a focus on, uh, on meaningful experiences, on experiences that give our life meaning. Also wrote a book on uh, authenticity that talks about how with the rise of the experience economy came this, this imperative about authenticity, that people desire things to be authentic. Uh, and, and I, and I believe that with transformations will come, will come meaning as the new consumer sensibility that people will increasingly buy based off of the, that, that they have a, a, their own purpose aligns with the purpose of the company. And so I'll think you'll see much more of what we already see now of, of, of what we called in chapter 10 of the book, worldview segmentation. And back in 1999, we used that term that people will buy from companies that share their own worldview. And, uh, and not buy from companies that, that do not fit with that worldview. And you can see that going on a lot now, you know, in the, in the last uh, year or two, particularly since the, the last election. Absolutely. Well, fascinating stuff, Joe. Absolutely have loved this conversation. Folks, pick up a copy of The Experience Economy, the new one released here in 2020. Congrats on that. Where do folks find more out about you, Joe, and what you're up to? Uh, well, they can LinkedIn with me if they want. Uh, just search for Joe Pine and LinkedIn. Or our website is www.strategichorizons.com. Strategic Horizons with an S. And there you've got my bio. You got all our offerings. You got links to the books, and uh, and you can learn all you want. We've got a uh, a post of blogs called Thoughts Post. You reminded me of this earlier in your introduction, where the last thoughts post I put out there was on hybrid events. That the way to go is not digital or virtual or, or physical, but, but to, but to fuse them and have hybrid events where you're, you're catering both to the, um, the physical audience. And then you have uh, also to the, the virtual audience at the same time. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Joe. Appreciate all your work. All right, Alan. I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks. Well, Jonathan, I'm going to have you lead us out of this uh, episode and I want to leave people with a question. And this question is just, how can you take your good or service and make it into an experience? How can you take your good or service that you offer? You probably are amazing at it. People are probably already paying for it. How can you turn it into an experience, whether it is online or not? Jonathan, anything else you would add? No, that's the key there. You're already doing something that you're deeply passionate about and you know that other people are going to benefit from it. It doesn't matter whether you're championing a cause, whether you have a product or service, what is the one thing that's at the bottom of your customer journey that you want people to experience and how can you make it that much better? Think through that, always sit with it, never lose sight of that. It's easy to get down in the weeds and so focused on the tasks at hand, the day-to-day things that have to happen, but never, 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 never lose sight of your why and why something deeply matters to you and communicate that out to your audience. So Guys, we're glad to have you here. If you're watching us over on YouTube, hit the subscribe button wherever it's located. If you're on Facebook or other digital channels, do us a favor, comment your thoughts, share with your friends. This is a resource. It's not snake oil. 
Yes, eventually we'll talk about that. It's not snake oil. You can apply these principles and you will see momentum, gain traction and grow your brand every single day. So until next week, we'll see you back here for another episode of the Everyday Marketer Podcast.